NPR people, it's Bills by the Numbers, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. We're brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up, is there any truth to one team having another's number, like the Bills have had of late with the Dolphins? We check recent history. All the pregame attention has been on the two offenses for Buffalo and Miami, but which team has the better defense? And we talk with NFL Network's Cameron Wolf for the latest on the Dolphins down in South Florida. It's Division Week. Let's go! Glad you can be with us here on Bills by the Numbers. Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker, Bills Insider Chris Brown with you. And this Week 3 game between the Bills and Dolphins was being hyped before the Bills even played their Monday night game against Tennessee. Tua Tungavailoa, who has been a lightning rod for criticism, leads the league in passing and has now won eight of his last nine starts. Tyreek Hill leads the league in receiving yards. The national media has been impressed with what the Dolphins have done the first two weeks in victories over New England and Baltimore. But do those wins pass the smell test, Steve? Well... Yeah, I, I like I like the fact that they bounce back from Baltimore. And if a team lets up uh, like Baltimore did, Miami's good enough to take you know take it away from them. And the first week one against the New England Patriots, you knew um, it was going to be a struggle. And to go in there and and beat Bel- Bill Belichick again, uh, they've been really good at doing that down in Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, a win is a win, no question about it. And to hang that many points on a Baltimore team just lets you know how buttoned up you've got to be to put a game away. Baltimore was up 21 points in the fourth quarter of that game, and it got away from them. And it wasn't – there was a couple of mistakes, no question about it, but Miami was right there to pounce on them when it happened. And there was a different sense about the Miami team in the second half. I'll I'll say that. So, yeah, you've got to be happy with the way Tua's playing. Eight wins out of his last nine starts is no accident. Right. And I don't want to dismiss what the Dolphins have done the first two weeks. I've always had respect for their defensive unit, which ironically is having some issues, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, I think they finally have a guy that knows how to draw up an offense in Mike McDaniel, quite frankly. They've been floundering with their offensive coordinators. They had two, they had co-offensive coordinators last year, and we thought that was going to be a disaster, and it was. It was a mess. It was a mess. And now they've got a singular voice. A guy that actually knows what he's doing comes from a proven coaching tree uh, off Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco in Mike McDaniel, and off they go. Now, all that being said, yes, New England and Baltimore look like two quality wins, but I think we're learning that New England and Baltimore aren't the teams we remember them to be over the past decade. They're not the powerhouses that you expect to crank up 11 or 12 victories a season and make a run in the playoffs every year. This is not the 2000 Ravens defense, no question about it. And the Patriots' offense is not what it was. It's a pop-gun offense. That's right, it is. But they – you know they still find ways to play well, and and we we've seen the Patriots. Anytime you beat that team, it's a it's a quality win in my opinion. Even in today's with their situation today, okay, they're just hard to beat. But you know these two offense in this game, the Miami offense and the Bills offense, this has all the earmarks of a track meet. But there are some differences on the other side of the ball that right. may, may come to light. So as much as you want to give the Dolphins credit when it comes to playing the Bills, everyone is comparing 
their offensive units because of where Miami's passing game currently sits, which is top of the league. But what everyone is overlooking, as you mentioned, the two defenses in this matchup. Since the start of last season, the Bills have the league's number one scoring defense, total defense, pass defense, big play defense, takeaway defense, and third down defense. Some might say, well, you're counting all of last year. This year is this year. Okay, fine. Going off of the first two games, Buffalo has the number one defense in the AFC, number two in the league, number one run defense after facing Derrick Henry, number one pass defense in the AFC, second in the league, number one sack defense, number one first down defense, and number one opponent passer rating defense with an opponent passer rating of 51. Is this where we'll see Um, the biggest difference between these two teams? Yeah, and we still, and like you said, and we're all qualifying it at least for the first four weeks of the season where this is this is not last year's team, it's this year's team, but you're playing the defending world champions and you're playing the number one seed in the AFC and you throttled them. Those have to be considered quality wins. And the Bills lumped them up on both sides of the ball. 72-17 um, to 17 is a fat gap. Uh, so, yeah, right now I still believe the Bills will be favored in this game, but it's a division game. These teams know each other extremely well, um, you would think, except for the fact that it's a new coaching staff in Miami. The personnel uh, aren't going to be intimidated by one or the other. So I think you're going to get the best, you know, the best game possible. Miami's going to show up and play, play well. Um, so, but my, there's a good reason why Buffalo's going to be favored. I, I think the Bills' defense still – doesn't get enough credit, and we kind of know why. The Bills might have the best quarterback in football, so he's going to get a lot of the attention, deservedly so. But as I said back in April, I was excited about what they added along their defensive line, even beyond Von Miller, all the defensive tackles they added. They've made the biggest impact on this team for a defense that was already best in the league, Steve. I mean, a 51 opponent passer rating? Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous. You want to know what Miami's is? It's 114.4. It's 30th in the NFL. I mean, they're also allowing an NFL worst nine yards per pass attempt and a completion percentage of over 71% that ranks 28th. The Dolphins' defense, which they kept intact and kept the coordinator for continuity. It's still there, and it disappeared. That's been the disappointment through the (laughs) first two weeks. Yeah, and I'll say this, too. And there's always going to be this. You're going to get the Miami Dolphins coming into this game with, I think, not only Tua – but the rest of them are going to come in with a big chip on their shoulder because Josh Allen has owned them. Oh, they've been wiping the floor with the Dolphins. And that doesn't go unnoticed. They want a piece of this. The, the Dolphins will want a piece of the Bills yeah. because of what's happened in the recent past. I th- yeah. I th- All right, so let's take that and discuss that because we've heard the old adage, oh, that team just has our number. Right. We saw it for years with Tom Brady in New England. Oh, he just has the Bills number. Brady had a lot of of teams' numbers, to be quite honest with you. We know Josh Allen's impressive record against the Dolphins. 7-1 and one, and almost single-handedly won the only time that he lost when Charles Clay dropped a, play, dropped a ball in the end zone, which would have won that game. Uh, he'd be 8-0. Uh, Allen also has 21 passing touchdowns against the Dolphins since 2018. It's the most by any QB against any opponent in the league over that span. So does he have the Dolphins' number? Seems like it. <laughs> Right. I, I, I don't want to say, yeah, yeah. He has played really, really well. And I, he's played really well down there, as too. Yes. I, 
you and I both on the the play that you're talking about in the the first time he played him in Miami where they lost on the last play of the game on a drop pass. Mm-hmm. You and I both looked at each other and go that guy that's the guy. Yeah. Josh is There's the your guy. franchise There's your franchise. In a loss, we thought that. Yeah. Because he literally piggybacked the entire team and a fan base. And he's corkscrewing Kiko Alonso he into the ground. Absolute, and- he absolutely took that game over from start to finish. There was nobody else on the Bills who had the kind of game or was even in the same stratosphere as him that game. So that you, I don't know why that is. There, there is no really tangible reason why you can yeah. do that. But I'll say this, and I had a, I, I was asked this this week. You know, is it harder to play in the heat or is it harder to play in the cold? Let me tell you something. The cold is hard. It hurts. The heat is a gift for these guys. Everybody says, "Oh, the the, you know, the humidity and heat." Yes, yeah. it is. You got to hydrate and all that. But man, oh man, the heat doesn't hurt when you're sitting on the sideline. Yeah, you stay warm. You're fine. You, you feel great. Stiff. You take a little water. It's great to be out in that stuff. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the Bills thrive in that and Josh himself thrives in it down there. But I'm telling you what, if, if there is a guy that has the number of a team, that's the guy. Yeah. And Josh Allen rips it when he goes to Miami. Yeah. I want to try to look at it a different way, you know, in terms of a player having another team's number. To me, it's just about one team being significantly better than the other. Now, that doesn't mean the lesser opponent can't put together a one-game performance that gets them a win. I mean, the two times that the Bills legitimately beat Tom Brady, Brady threw four picks in each of those games. The 2003 game, Mm -hmm. the opener that went 31-0 Bills, Brady threw four picks. The 2011 Week 3 game that they upset him here, Mm -hmm. last-second field goal at the end, Brady threw four picks. Those are the means by which I think the Dolphins could get a win against Josh Allen if he just has an awful day or they yeah. bait him into some bad decisions. Yeah, and there's, there's all kinds of – yeah, the turnover margin is always the great equalizer. If the Dolphins can come up with some muff kicks or some interceptions or some recovered fumbles, yeah, that's absolutely on the table because you can't outperform turnovers yeah. as an offense. You just can't get it done. It's just – you need too many possessions, and there's just not enough to go around. But barring that, there's no question the Bills overall. Now, you can say, hey, two in the off- their offense are playing as well as Josh Allen and the Bills' offense. They no are production-wise. Absolutely. Production-wise, they are. Defensively, not so much. And that's the difference. Because if you get into a track meet and your offense gets stopped and has to punt twice – that's two possessions down, and it's where you go down by 10 points or six points. If you, even if you hold them to two field goals, points. or it could be 14 points. Yeah. That's a big swing. And that's, you know, and for me, when we're talking about this guy having this team's number and all of that stuff, Allen is today's Brady. Like, Brady right. had the number of a lot of teams. The Bills experienced it firsthand twice a year, so it hurt more. Well, Allen's kind of that guy, he's the baddest cat on the block. And it's going to be very difficult to beat him, whether it's the Dolphins or anybody else. Certainly, there are guys who have teams' numbers. But the problem is this. Those teams that you face just aren't good enough to dial up a defense that will stop that guy. Because even if you got it covered, he's open. He tucks it under his arm, and and he's a locomotive. He makes something happen. He extends a play beyond your ability to cover it up. He just makes a play that there's no defense for because it just asks too much of the guys. And he's got too much help with him out yeah. there. 
with Steph Diggs, Gabe Davis, you know, Isaiah McKenzie, James Cook, Motor Singletary, all those guys. There's just too much help. Dawson Knox. And so when things come apart, even when you've got it dialed up as a defense, it bites you. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to defend. All right, we now transition to the numbers game where we test Steve's medal with on-target passing percentage. So, Steve, through two weeks of the 2022 season, which quarterbacks do you believe rank in the top ten in on-target passing percentage? It's one of those new metrics, Steve, that I know you love so much, so we figured we... uh, it's you know it's passing so that accuracy. Means it doesn't mean completion percentage. It just no. means when he throws it, it goes where he wants it to go. Yeah, they. I think the the metric says within a yard of the like it's on the player Oof. pretty much right. on target passing percentage. Here we go. I'll say Josh. Josh is just outside the top ten. He's eleventh. Really? Okay. Seventy-seven point one percent. I'll say Mahomes. Mahomes is fifth. 80.3%. I'll say Tua. Tua is third. 84%. I'll so say, maybe Tyreek was right, Steve. Yeah. I'll say... He's uh, more accurate than Mahomes so far. Right so far. <laughs> I'll say Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is tied for ninth. So yes, okay. he just made the list at 78.3%. Brady. Brady is 78.7%. You are hot out of the box here. I will say... Cousins. Cousins is not on this list. Sorry, your first swine. big miss. Kirk Cousins. I was dunk, drunk guessing him. I'll say Lamar. Lamar is not on this really? list. Really? Even after playing the Dolphins? Okay. All right. Not down to down. He is. Oh, there I are know. some traditional I, names wait, here. Wait, wait, wait. Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco is not on oh, the list. Oh, no. I... <laughs> you went off the radar yeah, there. I, yeah, because I thought it was going to be You went for an outlet. Now, I right. will tell you. There are a couple of outliers on this list, but there are also a couple of names that you would expect to see here year Let in and year out. Let me say Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is on the list. Yes, he's tied with Jalen Hurts, 78.3%. And this doesn't have anything to do really. I mean, I'll see, that's the thing. I'm, I'm looking at who can put it on their guy. Right. Stafford. Stafford is there, tied for sixth, 79.2%. How am I doing? How am I doing? What's, how many? You have four players left. Two are a little bit, two are kind of outliers. The other two you should have already. Mac. Not Mac Jones. Mac and Cheese isn't on there? Nope. Uh, Herbie. Justin Herbert is fourth, 81.3%. So you got two outliers and one regular. Now, is there a minimum attempt kind of thing? Well, you're missing the top two and the sixth guy. The guy who's tied with Matthew oh, Stafford. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, number one, 84.7%. Okay, so so now it. you've got the two outliers left, which if you asked me, I would not expect you to get these two. So if you can, you're really tearing it up here in the numbers game this week. Derek Carr. Not Derek Carr. Good guess, though. I'll give you I'll give you one more guess. Lance Fields. <laughs> Lance Fields. Huge Lance Fields. Wait, Justin Fields. You can buy Lance. Trey Lance with Justin Fields. That was unbelievable. I hate myself. That was awesome. Oh, I my God. I Lance Fields. I absolutely hate myself right now. I hate myself. 
God. Justin Fields. No. And Trey, don't guess I'm not Trey, Lance. Trey Lance. I'll say. <laughs> oh, they're killing you with the buzzer, and they're killing me. <laughs> Goff. It Jared is not Goff. Goff. So the, here are the guys that you You did really well. You got 8 out of 10. Uh, the guy you missed, tied with Matthew Stafford for sixth, was Daniel Jones, wow. 79.2%. A lot more shorter passes for him. Dayball's up in the on-target percentage. Number two, Steve, are you ready for a shocker? Jacoby Brissett. Geno Smith. Really? 84.2% on-target percentage. Number two in the league. Through the first two weeks of the let season. Just, How about that? Let me just say, I am... You go, Gino! I am less disappointed in myself now that <laughs> Gino Smith is at the top of the list. That was a that good... That was a good numbers game. I enjoyed that. Lance um, nice job, Steve. Eight out of ten. All right. All right. We turn to our guests this week to talk more about this first division matchup of the season for the Bills. NFL Network analyst Cameron Wolf has covered the Dolphins for quite some time, is still based down there in South Florida. So who better to fill us in on just who the Dolphins are through the first two weeks of the season? Here's Cameron. All right, Cameron, so let's start here with the Dolphins. Um, I know that Tua is off to a hot start here, and it seems like whenever he's given time, that's when he's most effective, as is the case with most quarterbacks. My question, though, is with a line that going into the season was described as one that was still coming together, how have they given him time to make the plays that he's made through the first two weeks? Yeah, that's a good question. The first thing is their offensive line has been better than it was last year. Last year, statistically, they were the worst offensive line in football. And so they haven't improved until being a great offensive line, but they brought in a guy like Teron Armstead at left tackle who's really helped them out there. Uh, Connor Williams has played pretty well at center early on. And so those two positions in particular, upgrading there has helped them uh, not be as bad as they were last year. Secondly, uh, Tua regularly gets the ball out very quickly. That's part of his game. They like to use the speed playmakers they have in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, get them in motion, uh, pre-snap, and then get the ball out quickly. And if they need to take a shot for a few of those plays like we saw last Sunday, then they'll do a little bit more max protect and run two or three receiver sets. So they've, they've really schemed the offense in, in situations where they don't have to hold the ball three seconds or longer and allow guys like Von Miller and that Bills pass for us to, to recap it. One of the things we've noticed as well, it seems as though Tua is in a much better environment. Not that we always we had a lot of respect for Brian Flores and the way he coached and the way he got those guys ready to play. But the the aura and the rhetoric coming around Tua now seems to be completely different. There's a belief there. There's a uh, where they think and they're telling him and making him believe he's the guy. What kind of effect has that had? Not only on Tua, because that's obvious. What about the rest of the locker room and and the vibe coming out of there now that they believe in this guy? Yeah, yeah. This is the most, you know, I've covered this team probably more than any team I cover uh, over the last three years. And I've seen a different level of confidence in Tua, but the team has supported him in ways I don't believe they did over the first two years. You know, something as simple as him being named uh, almost unanimous 
team captain. And a lot of people will say, hey, your quarterback's supposed to be the captain. Well, he wasn't the captain last year. And so this year, things change in that respect. And, and, and even little stuff about the happiness around him. I walked into the locker room after the game, and you see about 20, 25 guys coming up to him, giving him love, shaking his hand, giving him slapping him back for his game. And you can tell the guys love him. There was actually a picture they just posted on social media. The Dolphins did yesterday. Uh, the Nickelodeon does an MVP deal, and so they slime. They all had slime, and so they slime Tua with the slime deal, and they're all jumping on him and celebrating him. He's giving big hugs to Tyreek, and this stuff doesn't impact winning day to day, but it impacts your overall morale, your team, and around your quarterback. And so I think that this team believes that Tua can be closer to the quarterback we saw in the second half last week than the guy that we saw over the first two years. Roster uh, question I had for you, Cameron, because, you know, there are different things and preferences for different teams across the league. They've got eight offensive linemen on the active roster, five tight ends, which is, which is a <laughs> high number. And I was looking through their, you know, through the first two weeks, they only call 12 personnel like 14% of the time. It's not like they're a heavy 12 personnel team either and I re I realize Gasicki's kind of a different animal he's kind of like a tight re a tight receiver not a tight end or a wide receiver but why right. the five tight ends do you have any insight on that because that's unusual <laughs> yeah Mike McDaniel loves his tight ends clearly uh, no <laughs> I, I think there I, I think there's a, a little bit of a little bit of reason behind that well one of the players, Seathan Carter, uh, is essentially an H-back in their offense. He plays okay. special teams primarily, but he also is like their backup fullback. And unlike most teams, the fullback is very important in this offense. Alec Engel uh, is going to see the field a, a lot. He was very key in the blocking roles. And so they have him essentially as a backup fullback and a special teams player more than an actual tight end. And then, like you mentioned, Mike Gesicki is essentially a glorified receiver. They've been trying to have him play more tight end. Um, but honestly, that's not his skill set. His skill sets to be a receiver more than a blocker. And so five is definitely a huge number, but I think for their purposes, they think that, you know, it maximizes their special team ability and they've been calling, they can call up, they have two or three linemen on their practice squad. So if somebody gets hurt, they can call up one or two of those guys and, and be okay for game day. What was the difference in the first half and the second half in the Miami offense? Certainly the deep ball came through, but is that, is it as simple as that? Well, the Ravens stopped playing defense. That was a part of it. <laughs> um, honestly, I think I think that uh, you looked at the way they ran things with their motion um, started to really impact the Ravens defensive backs. And I talked to Tua about this yesterday. He said that, you know, you can see the defense when they overreact to a particular player. So sometimes they would run Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill on the same side, and you could see the safety in conflict. And so on the deep pass to Tyreek Hill, the first touchdown, Tyreek Hill ran past him. You can see the safety, Kyle Hamilton, trying to decide, do I play the post for Jalen Waddle or do I play the go route for Tyreek Hill? And that one second of hesitation allowed Tyreek Hill to, to go deep. And so I think they took more shots. They, they took advantage of that speed in a different route. And Tool was a lot more decisive as a quarterback. The first half, he threw two interceptions and one of them was a really bad interception where he was just forcing it. They didn't throw the ball a lot to Tyreek Hill early, and so they were forcing the ball. Um, the second half, they looked a lot more decisive and intentional in how they wanted to get the ball to those playmakers. So I think that's part of the reason why we saw a completely different uh, offense in the second half. Flipping it over to Miami's defense, Cameron, it's puzzling because there is pass rushing talent there. They're calling blitzes at a reasonable rate one of the higher rates actually in the league and yet 
the pass rush production hasn't been there? What have you seen through the first two weeks that's kept them off the sack tally board, so to speak? Yeah, that's been one of the big negatives for the team. And um, they were hoping to have a, a bigger jump from Jalen Phillips and Emmanuel Agba as their duo uh, so far. Jalen Phillips has graded out well as far as the analytic numbers, but it hasn't translated to sacks. Um, and, you know, Emmanuel Agba hasn't made much of an impact either. So they're going to need some of those individual pass rushers to make more of an impact. They always blitz. I think last year they had the highest blitz rate in the league of any other team. And so they like to run those zero blitzes. But, you know, for for teams like Josh Allen and the Bills, they 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 dominate the blitz. So you've got to be able to get home without, you know, sacrificing your defensive backs. I think it's as simple as winning one-on-one assignments for some of those uh, pass rushers. They brought in Melvin Ingram, who's been playing a little bit more on the edge, and he's given, given them a little bit. Um, but I think they rely a little too much on blitzing those safeties. And as we saw last week in the first half against Lamar, you blitz those safeties at the wrong time, the elite quarterbacks can, can figure that out and get it out to their hot route, and some of those turn into big plays. And so I think for them it's less blitzing, less blitzing, less blitzing and more individual uh, wins from their pass rushers uh, is how they get those sack numbers higher. Last one from me, uh, Cameron. It, how has the defensive side of the ball changed roster-wise uh, for the Dolphins? Their, their defense kind of – they hung their hat on it for a while. And now, you know, last week giving up all the points to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, what, what has changed for them under Mike McDaniel? Well, the big thing is um, they don't have Byron Jones currently, their number two cornerback. They had that duo of Xavier Howard and Byron Jones over the last couple of years. And Xavier Howard's the big play guy. He gets all the interceptions. But Byron Jones have been consistent on the other side, kind of uh, keeping them honest. And so he's currently on PUP dealing with an Achilles injury. And so they've had a, a variety of young corners kind of stepping up at that spot. Uh, Cater Kohu, uh, undrafted kid from Texas A&M Commerce, has played a lot of those reps in place of Byron Jones. So he's going to be a guy that if Gabe Davis plays this week, he'll probably see a lot of him. And that's the matchup I would kind of key on if I was Buffalo. He, the guys played really well, Kohu, so far. But, you know, sometimes you play uh, guys who are different levels of number two receivers. And I think Gabe, Gabe Davis is, is a guy who, you know, could potentially expose that matchup. And so that's probably the biggest difference. They return their other starters or other tennis starters. So it's, the group is back essentially. Um, but the other uh, addition is uh, Melvin Ingram, who I mentioned, and Trey Flowers, who both play uh, situational edge rush roles. So they're still going to try to be aggressive. They're still going to play a lot of man coverage, and they're still going to try to get after you. So the core of the defense, even without Brian Flores, is still pretty much the same. And then the last one I got for you, Cameron, is the run game. The Bills – if they're forced out of their run and they have RPOs dialed up for Josh, they don't mind throwing it and saying, well, the heck with the run game because they're not going to let us run it. It's a bad call. I'm not going to use it. Um, what's been the deal with the Dolphins' run game? And again, I realize it's only a two-game sample, but coming from the Mike Shanahan or the Kyle Shanahan tree, the expectations were the Dolphins were going to be able to run it better, run it more effectively, um, what have you seen from the run game that's that's kept their production low here? 
Yeah, good question. This might be a passing party on Sunday. I think uh, Ken Dorsey had, what, 20, 21 straight passes at some yeah. point? Yeah, a lot of RPOs <laughs> in there, but yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, the Dolphins had 50 passes last week. And, and look, it's interesting because Mike McDaniel's a, a run game specialist coming from yeah. the 49ers. And so that was the element he was supposed to bring. They just haven't ran the ball well at all. So they've went, went away from it, honestly, because it hasn't been productive. They had some spurts in the second half last week. Uh, Raheem Mostert had a run where he had three straight plays of 33 yards total and then chase Edmonds broke a 28 yard run on that two minute drive so those were really their only contributions to the run game they're going to try to stick to it but they're also implementing a new y zone scheme that honestly takes some time for the offensive linemen to truly learn it and so there have been times when i've watched their tape where they've not got to their block in time or they've been out of position and it's blown up a play and so it might be until middle of the season when they fully feel comfortable in that running scheme to be able to to open things up, but I'd anticipate Raheem Mostert getting even more touches this week. He's been their most explosive of the two running backs between him and Chase Edmonds, and he has a great relationship from McDaniel from the San Francisco 49ers days. So he's a guy who could always uh, is a threat to take it 70, even though they haven't consistently been able to run the ball so far. Cameron, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, fellas. Looking forward to Sunday. Yeah, should be a good one. Thanks. All right, people, time for your chance to win a million dollars with FanDuel's free pick'em style game high-low. Pick teams for four different stat categories that you think will score the highest or lowest for the week. The more you get right, the more you can win. Get them all correct, and you can take home a million dollars. Just go to FanDuel.com slash high-low to play for free. Steve and I make these picks each week. Steve, you've got high-low on points right. this week. What do you got? I'm coming out of the gate with the Bills for high on points. <laughs> I feel like the, the Dolphins are going to get a reality check. The Bill, this Bills offense is humming, and the Dolphins have been giving up too many plays to the quarterbacks they face, Lamar uh, and Mac. The, the, they've taken seven straight from Miami. I don't think, think that's changing. Miami gave up 38 points last week. Hmm. I think they might give up, and particularly if Miami's Dolphin gets hot, if they get hot and all of that, and the Bills have to keep their foot on the gas, I think this may be a like a sixty-three point game. I mean, the, they're I think the Bills 63? are going through the roof. Oh, low for, wow! Because I think the Dolphins might push them, and if that's the case, I, you know, there ain't no stopping these guys. Now, for low for points, I'm going to go with the Broncos. They've got a tough divi- the interdivision matchup with the Niners. They don't see these guys very much, mm-hmm. and Denver's offense <laughs> looks. Like Keystone Cops right now. They are completely disorganized. They can't get to the line of scrimmage. If they're smart, they're going to give the ball to Javante Williams and and Melvin Gordon. The passing game just can't get out of its own way. Uh, they don't have Jerry Judy, perhaps, on Sunday per- either. And the Niners' pass rush is an absolute menace. So uh, they've got the number one defense in the league. They're a little better than the Bills, even. Yeah. So I think the Broncos are going to struggle to get on the board. Yeah, Russell Wilson knows that team, but his – his team's struggling. Nate Hackett looks like he's in over his head. Yeah. All right, passing yards. I'm rolling with the Chiefs. While I do expect a bounce-back performance from a desperate Colts team, that doesn't mean that Patrick Mahomes isn't going to get his yards through the air. So Kansas City, high for passing yards. Low for passing yards. I'm going with the same game. <laughs> India struggled. Even if Michael Pittman's back in the lineup this week, the Colts are going to have a tough time with that blitzing Chiefs defense. Steve Spagnolo sends people and sends them off him. Right. Uh, it, that's it's going to be fun to watch. Um, for me, high rushing yards. I think that the Philadelphia Eagles are going to roll on the ground against Washington. Last week, the Lions rolled up a buck 91 on Washington, and the league's number two rushing offense, the Eagles. 
will do the same. On low on rushing yards, I'm going to take the Rams. They haven't been able to run the ball so far this season, although Arizona isn't anything special in that regard. I think they're good enough to keep the Rams off, and I think the Rams are going to throw the football to make sure Kyler Murray doesn't get back in this game. I think the Rams are going to try and run it up on him, and that means Matt Stafford's going to throw it, okay. and they won't run the ball so much. All right, we wrap it up with high for sacks. I'm taking the Vikings, who've been quietly productive through the first two weeks. They're fourth in the league in sack percentage, and I could see them having some success against Jared Goff and the Lions. Low for sacks, I've got Miami. They've got two sacks on the season, despite blitzing 39% of the time. They're 31st in the league in pressure rate, so Dolphins low for sacks. Those are our picks for high-low for the week. Go to FanDuel.com, get their free-to-play section, click on the high-low game. It's a lot of fun, and it's pretty easy to play, uh, quite frankly. So make sure you do that and play high-low. Closing figures for the week. Steve, I, I really like this one, so I wanted to make use of it. And it deals with touchdowns on passes of 10-plus air yards. Tua already has five touchdown passes on throws of 10-plus air yards. In 2021, the Bills set a next-gen stat single-season record by allowing a passer rating of just 36.2 on passes of 10-plus air yards. In three career starts against Buffalo, Tua. 7 of 23 for 185 yards, one touchdown, two picks, and a 39.2 rating on passes of 10-plus air yards. Not surprisingly, Miami has lost all three of those games. What happens this time around? We shall see. That'll do it for this edition of Bills by the Numbers. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use so you know when the next episode drops. And remember, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. We'll catch you next week, everybody.